but connecting on that human level and reaching out frequently, making sure they know that they are also involved in your design process and making sure that it being curious, I think is really important because you want to make somebody else feel valuable because they are to whatever you're working on. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we have Mish Lin, product design at Okta. Mish Lin began designing and launching websites at the early age of eight, learning from her self-taught web design mother. She has an unconventional path to design, having freelance, contracted, designed in-house for startups, as well as public companies for the last six years. Inspired by her design journey, she discovered a deep passion for mentorship and helping aspiring designers and technologists breaking into tech. Also having worked alongside so many different people and personalities on a global remote team, Mish has mastered the art of leveraging soft skills to be, build authentic relationships at work. Mish's mentors at ADP List, which is one of the ways I found her, uh, collab and first round fast track. She also provides design advising for early stage startups. Prior to Okta, uh, Mish designed at Lilt, 15.5, Reddit, eBay, and Gigster. And we will be talking about a couple of very interesting topics. Uh, number one, how to get your for breaking into tech, getting that first job. It was really challenging for her. And she, you know, you'd love to hear her story. We'll talk about pay inequality that exists. That's a thing and we should be aware of it and how we should be dealing with it. And also mentorship is, is very important and near and dear to her heart. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Peck. That was a nice intro. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I had some help. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> thank you. So for those of you who never heard, you know, because we cover a lot of companies that are a lot of times B2B. What What is Okta for, for people who've never heard of Okta? Yeah, well, I work on a very different part of Okta, but Okta is a, man, this is so hard to even explain, but it's a way of managing identities and allowing companies to really connect their employees and their employee life cycles with certain apps without having to, you know, always log in with an email or password. So that is one part of it is just really CISOs and IT admins granting access to apps throughout employees lifecycle. And there's also another part to it, which is we build sign-in APIs. And that is why we acquired Auth0. And I personally, with more of a consumer background, even though I've designed for like a variety of non-consumer products. I currently work on OctaPersonal, which is our first like foray into the consumer space. So what does consumer security mean to people? What does security mean to people? What does your digital identity mean to people? And it's a very small team and we just conduct a lot of generative research. We iterate and function like a startup, super collaborative and just learn. And it's it's been quite the journey. When's, when's this product coming out? Oh, man. We are we have like many phases, <laughs> probably next year at some point, but we're slowly easing people into it. Um, it's definitely a very experimental and research-focused project and product. 
which kind of ties in with my history a bit. When I was at Reddit contracting, I worked on essentially experimental products. So trying to categorize Reddit content, which we know is pretty impossible. So how do you come up with new ideas of how to do that? And what, you know, so one out of that was like Reddit news, which is on mobile and then Reddit events, which are time posts, which I think they have kind of changed the format of it a bit, but it is still on Reddit. So experimental design, being comfortable with throwing things away and starting over and making it really about the user is uh, very easy for me as a designer. And it's fun. Well, so your mom was a self-taught web designer. Yeah. Is that how you, and so that's, that was your exposure. So how, how did you learn from your mom? So my mom was a teacher actually. So she taught herself. She's always been a creative, obsessed with computers, but she grew up pretty poor. And so the first time, like we lived in like a one bedroom house in Taiwan, it was just me and her. And she got a computer set up and just learned the entire Adobe suite it at that time. So I would say like late 90s, early 2000s. Was it a legit and copy? I believe so, yeah. <laughs> and then she ended up becoming a teacher for it. And she just wanted me to have access to all the things that she wanted growing up because she grew up pretty poor. And so... I, she taught me Photoshop. I have like a stack of books that are about how to use Photoshop and that are all in Chinese. And if you read through it, it's just like tutorials for how to make word art, but she taught me Dreamweaver. <laughs> so at age eight, I was launching websites about my Beagle and Lexi, rest in peace. And yeah, creating websites at a really early age, of course, that led to, you know, the MySpace layouts and that whole thing. and just continuous like marketing design it just became almost like an innate skill and so I'm very grateful for that okay well that's a good lead into how how you got into how you how did how did you get your first job and what was so challenging and hard about it and how long did it take you oh this is this is a big one so my first job I was actually an archaeologist I studied cultural anthropology in college and that was just the only and first offer I got. So I started 10 days after I graduated. And strangely enough, it was where I built my first product. We had like a terrible workflow for getting projects in from larger companies like PG&E. And so we spent like three days in the middle of nowhere, California. I don't, I can't even name like the town with a, like a wall that was just an entire whiteboard. And redesigned like designed and not redesigned I suppose designed like our own internal tool for how we take in projects how we number them how we can automatically you know send them to the right people who need to look through the documents and it was the best two months of my archaeological career uh, had no idea like that was so much product design when I think about it now it's like I was doing data modeling and like flows without knowing anything about user experience or product design. And so it was around the time of like the 2016 General Assembly boom, started getting curious about tech, which I avoided for a long time because I wanted to be an artist and different and realized like had this giant light bulb moment that we I can combine this thing I've been doing my whole life of digital design with 
having a background in cultural anthropology and doing ethnographies and, you know, really understanding people and mental models. And I can actually have a job doing that, creating products. So I took like what little savings I had, put it into a program called Tradecraft, where I just worked on projects for early stage startups to build up my portfolio and went, man, it was like 500% in, I was sleeping at Tradecraft. (laughs) I just wanted to, I wanted it so badly. And the first job I got out of Tradecraft was Gigster. So it wasn't a full-time job, even though I was constantly networking, made it to a ton of like internship, like on sites, but always got turned down because I didn't really have enough work to show. So I figured Gigster would be a good route to go. And while I was there... Were um, you designing up, for Gigster or were you, you sort of the Gigster talent? Kinda, so it's a funny story. I'm a very candid and opinionated person and I really care about products and the people who use them. So I was part of the Gigster network, which meant that like I would help design with random and different product managers on products that range from like, I can't even say, but just a wide range of products. And I also walked into headquarters one day and just said, what is wrong with like the internal software? Because like, I can't figure out how to find a job and how to meet people. And I would love to know how like this can be improved. And they hired me as an intern, but I didn't do much product design as an intern. However, I got to kind of, you know, really, I guess it was still internal networking and meeting all the people from Gigster and getting to know them and trying to understand the business a bit more. Awesome. So that, yeah, that was my first job, I guess, of sorts. But struggling, like on that topic, I wanted something more stable. So I kept interviewing, made it to on-sites, always just you do not have enough years of experience which is valid so eventually i just decided to contract so i contracted at ebay on their b2c selling team and that was very different from i think coming from startups and working on very early stage mvp products to working on something like at a company like ebay which at the time was trying to Amazonized business selling. And I like feel, I don't know. It was one of the most interesting jobs because when you meet people who've been selling at eBay for like 20 years, like legacy sellers, they're not selling iPads or, you know, the typical things you see on Amazon. They're selling Dolomite llamas and flip phones. And at that time, they were trying to kind of convert these business sellers who've been selling for like 20 years and this is how they make a living into having a catalog with a UPC and selling from there. And I just quite frankly, didn't really agree with that, especially sitting in on user interviews and hearing how upset people were. So I, I will be honest, I kind of checked out. It was my first like in-house position, but I was a contractor and I, that's when I just started mentoring because I wanted to still, you know, continue feeling inspired. And that was like my first foray into the mentorship world was while I was at eBay. 
I think a common thread that I hear among folks I, I interview is, you know, trying to break into the industry. I think people who immediately want that stable job, it's they often find disappointment and sometimes like it just start contracting. I think that's how yeah. I started. You know, I I wrote code before. I have an engineering degree, right? And at some point I said, Oh, I really like design, but you know, you look at my degree and it's, you know, computer engineering, you write code, like you're not going to hire me. But I just started designing in the evenings. I started taking like little side gigs, side hustle design jobs, right? Like contracting design jobs. At some point I had a portfolio. At some point it's like, oh, your stuff is looking good. Let me pay you for design, right? Like at some point the conversation flipped because there was more design work than there was coding. And then people started seeing me different. Um, but Absolutely. I couldn't just that, have landed that design job when the moment I decided I wanted to become a designer. Absolutely. I mean, my proudest moment, I think I've told you this before, Pick, is like I, when I was mentoring at UX Academy, I mentored these two aspiring designers who were crazy talented. And for I think six or seven months, and I kind of pushed them to break from the curriculum and to leverage their network and find projects and real things to work on so they can build real products and like maybe like collaborate with PMs and get that real world experience in. And both of them have were able to like land jobs right after they graduated, which is, yeah, I think that's the thing I'm most proud of. And it was all them, but I definitely like to push people out of their comfort zones a little bit and, you know, teach them how to cold email people, how to contact people, how to really approach people in a way where you're not asking for a job, but you just want to learn from them because that's how you like growing your network and finding more mentors is how you open up more doors for opportunities to design beyond just designing by yourself conceptual projects. Yeah, I, well, I, I'm going to have to lean on you and ask for tips later on on the cold emailing. I think I'm in oh, my comfort yeah. zone of like you, you. You mentioned before we we started recording, like uh, the power. Like, talk to me about the power of networking. Like, how they could be people could be using that because obviously I have my my own thoughts on that. But I'd love to hear your opinions. I have a Discord like thing that I sent to. I'm currently you know mentoring for collab and I wrote down just basic instructions on it and happy to attach it to whatever and send it to you but essentially what I did was I really like to think about personal strengths everyone is an individual everyone is really different and when I was at tradecraft I like I got this from my mom too I'm super social I'm very extroverted and tradecraft taught us how to cold email so I was spending a lot of my time meeting heads of designs and just reaching out to people and weirdly, like I wouldn't say weirdly, but like in the design world, people are typically more open to chatting with you, especially people who are leading design at startups. And I used to just buy coffee for them. And I Tradecraft also wanted us to bring speakers in. And that was part of what we were supposed to do as like apprentices. And yeah, so it's, that was like pre-pandemic. But now I have a full set of like steps to take 
which is, you know, look at the companies that you are interested in that are hiring that are, you know, align with your experience somewhat and your interests and just stalk the people who are doing the hiring, stalk the recruiter, stalk the manager, like the hiring manager, which you can typically find emails for through Hunter IO to validate emails. You can do LinkedIn chat. If you are in design communities, a lot of times these leaders are in like Slack communities. And when you Slack someone, it's kind of tougher to like leave someone on red. So I think there are so many routes today to really connecting with design leaders. And how I always encourage people to think about it is like, instead of asking for a job, first of all, people love talking about themselves. And so approach it in a way where you share a tidbit of who you are, what makes you unique and like a little bit of your story. And, but focus most of that messaging around the person, look at, you know, what they've done, look at the values of the company and why you care about their product, all of these little things that are details and configure it into a nice packaged message and ask for to like learn about this person's journey and their story instead of asking for a job. And for me, that has led to a lot of the long-term mentors I've had since the beginning of my career that are still there for me. And I'm just beyond grateful through these weird, cold emailing things. And it's once you start doing it and getting comfortable with it, it just becomes really easy because what's the worst thing that can happen? Someone says, no, like that's it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. The worst you can say is no, and you're no better off than you were without asking. But if they say yes, then. Yeah. Things are different. (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like when you think of a business and you think of their unique value prop, think of the person you're connecting with, unique value prop. Yeah. What details can you find about their story and just, you know, approach it in a way with of, of like coming from a place of curiosity, which mm-hmm. is how you should always approach it. I love learning about other people's stories into, you know, tech and how they became leaders. So I myself, I still do this all the time, maybe a little differently because I'm interested in some other things like community building and, and DEI. So it's I still kind of use the same methodology, but to meet people in other beyond just like designers. Yeah. Well, the DEI aspect is a, is a good lead into another topic near and dear to you is the the pay gap. Yeah. And, and gender and DEI. So to Talk to me about this and educate the audience a little bit. This is a touchy one. Yeah, this is definitely a touchy subject, but I feel very passionately like about it. So I want to talk about it because the only way that we can get, make sure like people are becoming aware that this is a problem is by speaking to it. And I'm trying to think of the best way to talk about this without coming off to, you know, intense, but there is a gender pay gap. I think we all know that for each role, there is a range and the range, most companies don't actually like keep up with the ranges. I feel like it comes secondary, especially right now in a time where we are, you know, 
going through like financial turmoil. But these gaps, you could be the same level as someone and it can range from, well, I would say 40K in the same role. And it just really depends on like, there's no set amount. And I understand why there's a range because, you know, you could be coming in as a like PD2 or like an L3 as like an earlier stage one. So that makes sense. But 40K is quite a lot. And I am someone who is very passionate about building culture and like becoming friends of people that I work with. Because, I mean, we all have the same vision. We're working towards the same goal. We spend so much of our time working. It's much better to build real friendships and relationships and authentic, yeah, genuine relationships with the people that you work with. So when you do that, you start sharing stories. And when you get to that place and you start touching on this topic of pay, I've realized that there are giant, giant gaps for people who are within the same range based on gender who may have started at the same time. And I'm not going to you know, get into specifics about it, but I know a story of like two of my you know, previous colleagues who started at the same time, grew together, got promotions together at the same time. And the male designer was able to, was getting paid, I wouldn't say like 20, 30 K more than the female one. And a lot of it is because the reason this is happening is because we women don't normally negotiate. And so learning the art of negotiation is very important, but there is just a complete lack of transparency when it comes to pay. However, there are products coming out like PAVE and people are starting to pay attention to this because the you want good culture. You want people to be friends, at least to effective, you know, collaboration and like just happier teams when everyone's friend, like when they're friends with each other. However, when you start sharing these stories, it becomes really disheartening and you kind of lose trust in where you work and how you were sold your role. And I'm trying to think of the best way to speak about this without going into details. Cause if I went to details, it would be a lot more intense, but there is just a giant pay gap and people aren't doing anything to resolve it because people don't talk about it. Women are starting to talk about it amongst themselves, but traditionally, you know, people think that speaking about pay is taboo or negotiation is taboo. Why does it have to be taboo? I don't understand that. When people are delivering and doing the same job, essentially, they should be paid equally. And we are seeing products like Levels or Blind that come out. And if you go on those apps, you will see all of the stories of how crazy it is, especially right now, I think, in with designers because people really want senior designers and it's really hard to hire them. And they're getting, because they're so hard to hire right now in this moment in time, they're getting insane pay compensation packages. And for somebody who's worked at a company for five years and they're getting paid way less, like it's just not fair. And Mm -hmm. we all talk about it because we're friends and it doesn't seem like people care enough. So I'm still trying to figure out 
how I can continue. Like I can advocate for myself and I have when I realized I was being severely underpaid and I was misleveled for a year and a half, I went and advocated for myself to the most senior person, but educating other people on how to do that and empowering them. That's kind of the hard part. And it just starts with building friendships and making people realize that this is not a taboo topic. This is something that is genuinely unfair. And when you're putting in the same amount of effort, you deserve to be paid the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think one tip is one talking about it, having that awareness. And then really it starts with uh, being an advocate for yourself, standing up for yourself. Yeah. And advocating for yourself is not the easiest thing. I would say you want to figure out how to do it without being too aggressive. I've definitely had like panic attacks while doing it, but luckily I've had very empathetic design leaders. However, when you're advocating for yourself, it's, I always go to script writing. I do that when I interview, when I have done portfolio reviews, I will write a whole script when I'm speaking at a conference or anything, typically not right now, this is a conversation, but write about how you've contributed and how you've provided. And so you can hit on all of those things when you're advocating for yourself. Like I've actually provided value here. Like I designed this and this was like, for me, I designed an internal product that saw 400 people like organic growth internally, which is like pretty big for a random product that is not advertised that's internal, but like find those like bullet points. The things that you want to, you know, add to your resume, but you don't want to make your resume too long. But think of all your wins. Think of all the ways you've contributed and helped the business and definitely add that business lens to it and advocate for yourself. But what I also find very unfair and like through my experiences is I feel like men don't have to advocate for themselves as much. I think it's, it's very different how we have to approach it. And it feels like a very archaic system, given that we are tech people living in 2022. But a lot of women I know have to, you know, create decks and and really sell themselves for their employer, for their manager, versus a lot of men who just are able to get promoted and and whatnot. So it's it's a touchy subject, but I think the first thing that we should be doing is talking about it and realizing it's not taboo and if you believe in like equality um, then start talking about it yeah i'll do a plus one on you know thinking about and logging kind of your achievements and your impact to the organization you know speaking as a manager you know for both genders right seeing as a manager you have multiple direct reports right and the more you're kind of overloaded with direct reports it's hard to think about everybody's achievements, right? That, but you only yeah. you only have one manager, right? You don't have multiple managers. At least that's not very common. So you only have to think about one up, but downwards, it's it's like I have to juggle, you know, kind of like six, seven, ten people. And so it's, I think, my advice to folks is like once, whenever you make an impact, like write it down because if companies do a yearly review, like are you going to remember that one thing you did? eight months ago, like, but if you have that, when it comes time to the yearly review or whatever, whatever cadence, 
then that's, you know, it's, it's all right there. And you have to manage up as well, right? You can't expect people to have, you know, if they, they're juggling, managing seven, eight, 10 people, that they're going to recall everything. So Yeah. You, and adding on to that, I mean, on the topic of building authentic relationships, I am pretty much best friends with most people I've worked with in a lot of the companies I've worked at. And because I've built authentic relationships with them, I can still go back to them for stats on products I've launched, how they say they're longer or have them advocate for me. Like it just building those relationships, even like externally is really helpful also to help you get advice and like leveraging the community. So that's how like I was able to, like, for example, I was working on one project and, you know, when you're at a company, you could be moving around on different teams. But if you build a real, genuine, authentic relationship with somebody, then say months later, you know, you, you're, the review's coming up and you want to know how you're off the project. You want to know the stats, how it's grown, like all those things. It's much more comfortable to reach out when you have already established that, you know, feeling of trust and, and friendship. Yeah. And then I think my, my other tip would be to pile onto that is, you can advocate for yourself directly to the manager, but you can also maybe have a sphere of influence, right? Because it's one thing to kind of like talk about yourself, right? Or mm-hmm. quite another to have peers kind of like, hey, by the way, you know, to tell the manager, Misha's, Misha's doing a really good job. And if they hear it over and over again, it's like, oh my God, I need to do something about this. <laughs> Absolutely. And it all comes down to the core of, building authentic relationships. I know I've said that so many times, but when you're able to do that and you get comfortable in, in, you know, really honing that skill, which requires, I think, really understanding your own strengths and how you can provide value for other people. And always, you know, whenever you connect with somebody, making sure to say, how can I help you? Please let me know. And it is important, not only in the company you work at, but for your career in general, for meeting more people, for adding more people into your network, for asking for advice, for finding a new job. And if someone trusts you as a person and you are able to maintain that relationship long-term, then it's just, it's a win on both ends. How, how do you maintain relationships over time? So, do you have any tips or pointers? I am involved in a lot of design communities. I love, love, love community. That's where I've met a lot of people. So I'm part of On Deck and Designer Fun Collective. And how I do it is I just typically a lot of my mentors or even you, Peck, like (laughs) it's just, I think, checking in on each other and saying hello. And like after, you know, starting off with definitely a coffee chat or a video chat, and checking in on each other because like once you've had that interaction it feels more comfortable and when you have that coffee chat don't just talk about work things like get to know the person on a regular like human level and so I would say that I've gotten lucky because a lot of my mentors have joined the communities I'm a part of and so I just check in and I ask questions I ask a lot of questions as I've grown as a designer and as I'm growing into a design leader, I just, there's so many things that I'm curious about. 
So get comfortable with asking questions and, and you can go through the email route. I do it with people who have rejected me, hiring managers who have rejected me, but they see something in me. And so I will have like email threads with them. I will say like, Hey, can you check out my portfolio? Or like, well, I don't work on my portfolio, my deck can get some feedback. And just also, how are you doing? And it's combining a bit of the workiness, I guess, or like, I guess the design aspect of like what your needs are, but not asking too much with also caring about the other person and checking in. So there are two ways it's like combining. I think it's a combination of that. I don't know if I explained that very well, but with each person it's different. And I would say like one of my strengths is like from the, what's it called? The strengths finders test. Yeah. I'm obsessed with it. But (laughs) one of mine is individualism. So how I'm able to collaborate with people really well. And also I think maintain relationships is I try to get to know somebody on a personal level. I would say that I do study people (laughs) and I, because I feel inspired by them and I want to know their story and I want to know what motivates them and what makes them like the leaders or the designers or the product leaders or anything that the founders that they are. So leveraging that strength, I like to get to know people on a personal level. So you kind of know how to better communicate or follow up. And that is also how I work collaboratively with like, I said that weird, collaboratively with engineers and like cross-functional partners is every engineer that I've worked with, I feel like they have their own ways of working. So I think always starting with coffee chat, that's just like my number one go-to rule and getting to know them as a person, but also getting to know how they work. And I know I'm, you know, bridging off into a different topic, but I think it's all around that theme of getting to know somebody personally that can help you maintain relationships with anyone. You're in, especially mentors have been the most valuable to me, but also people that you work with. Yeah, it is. Is this a good lead into the next topic of like, what are some of the social skills you need to work more effectively? With people, yeah. with other people in your team. I would say one thing is get comfortable with asking questions and get very comfortable with it because it doesn't, it's not, it's people, some people think that it is very like, it's making you look weak, but it doesn't. There really are no dumb questions, I think, in my opinion. And I think in terms of soft skills, always start off with a coffee chat. Every time I've joined a new team or a new company, I try to set up, if it's a startup, I try to set up a coffee chat with like most people in the company, depending on the size, but doing that. And then with my own team, I like to know how each engineer likes to work. I've gotten very lucky with PMs to where that relationship has just kind of developed naturally, but developers work differently and they all have different skill sets and I'm not a developer. So I want to know how they want to collaborate and what makes them comfortable. And one thing that I do very frequently is, you know, we always talk about sharing things early and often. I ask them a lot of questions and I do share early and often, but just like async through Slack. Like, what do you think about this? Ask them for their opinion because developers are also product minded and they can tell you about technical constraints before you start like hand off and then you realize you can't do anything about it. 
And I've been very lucky to work with developers who really care because again, we all have the same goal. So just little snippets of asking for feedback one-on-one is something that I would highly recommend. And again, checking in frequently, maybe finding things that you're interested in. I have one engineer I work with who I just absolutely adore. And we are both giant 90 day fiance fans. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll go into like a pair design programming like session, but connecting on that human level and reaching out frequently, making sure they know that they are also involved in your design process and making sure that it being curious, I think is really important because you want to make somebody else feel valuable because they are to whatever you're working on. And so that's kind of my strategy. I wouldn't even consider it a strategy. I think it's just co-working or not co-working. I think it's just like collaboration and, and being kind and being human. Yeah. I think one insight for me that I had, I would say recently by recent the last couple of years versus like, you know, the two and a half decades of working was that, you know, I have one, you know, I have a working style and I have a way to communicate. And not everybody works and communicates like me and everybody's an individual and they, they communicate and receive information differently. So I've sort of through my coach and mentors, my HR person, Christina Wang, and you know, they've taught me that, um, you know, well, first learn and, and even, you know, leaning in, like you said, ask how, how they like to work, how they'd like to receive information, how they like to document maybe they like working sessions maybe they they're like asynchronous you know just as you think about it give getting feedback so learn you know ask lean into asking but also to, to really to to get the insight of how how they like to work how how they like to receive information some people are okay with really rough ideas some people want you to come with more well thought out ideas before you present it to them just kind of like difference in personalities that way. Sometimes some people want to have time to think before they provide feedback. So you want to give them information ahead of time so they can be thoughtful. Other people are more, you know, are more just as comfortable being put on the spot and they can think on their feet to give some feedback. So really understanding kind of like the nuances of people. Yeah. And adding on to that, just another layer of it is when you're able to create a team culture where everybody is kind of doing that. And so I do this little thing that is super minor that I actually stole from a previous startup I worked at, but they would ask some questions that were like, when was the last time you cried? And kind of like very, not not the type of things that people want to talk about, but I do this thing called Question Fridays with my team. So every Friday, I actually accidentally missed it today, but every Friday I send a question out and I have an entire list of questions. And because I've done improv, I just always think about, you know, positivity, low engagement, I mean, low effort, sorry, low effort, high engagement questions. And that's very tied in with, I think, improv, because when you get started, that's really what you're focused on. And in terms of building your skills, but I have a huge list of questions that are, that help people tell stories about themselves. So it's like, how would you explain what you do now to like your four-year-old self? Or what is something you can talk about forever? Like nothing negative ever. Like 
if you are on a global team, like, tell me about like, what's your favorite thing about your hometown? And sometimes there are these questions, like people will add photos and like, what's like the soundtrack? Like if you had to pick one song that to be like the soundtrack to your life, I guess I wouldn't, it wouldn't be the soundtrack, but the, the main song of the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? And these low effort questions where people don't have to think too much. And that has done a lot for our team in terms of like, we're learning about each other and people are getting more and more comfortable the more you do this. And so beyond just building that one-on-one relationship, when you get to the level where the entire team is feeling comfortable, then that collaboration factor just completely explodes. Like we all collaborate together. We prioritize together. Engineers, PMs, like researchers, designers go to market. We have, we celebrate wins, which is also a very improv thing. And just doing everything we can to maintain a culture of trust and respect. And that is something I think some teams need to start thinking about because it's the effects of it and like the results are are truly incredible. And that's how my team has been able to move really fast and how all of us are like, we just are constantly asking for feedback in the main channel that's public to everybody and getting to that level of comfort you can start by doing something as simple as this question Fridays thing. And then yeah. it leads to conversations when we have our like Friday demos or like little meetings. So it's fun. I'm going to borrow that. I'm going to ask you for some of these questions. Yeah. I have a Google sheet thing of this is also, I guess improv like affected me a lot. I took one class and then the pandemic hit, but I have a list of like short form and long form activities that are all low effort, high engagement. And yeah, it just brings people together. It gets people talking. It gets rid of that silence that is so like prominent in this yeah. virtual world. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I, I, there are times when there's like that, those awkward silences and you're like, ah. So yes, ha- having a regular activity like this where that kind of get people to know each other uh, like today we had introduced two new team members and I, I asked him to kind of share some personal stories about himself. And it, it, it turned out really good because, you know, they, they were really engaging and people wanted to know more. He had some yeah. personal experience, you know, working closely with Steve Jobs. So oh, uh, that so was cool. really interesting. You know, I won't, won't repeat those stories, you know, for public consumption, but <laughs> they, they were certainly very good. So you you mentor at ADP List. That's how people can get in touch with you. What what are other ways people can get in touch with you? So I'm thinking of starting a community for all of my ex-mentees and anyone who wants to join because people, I get messages on LinkedIn and all that and it just, it gets messy. So ADP List is one route, but I'm thinking about creating a community. So feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I'll be sharing more news about that as I figure it out because (laughs) it's like connecting talented people together that I've been able to mentor. It's not even about me, but it's also helping them network amongst each other. So that's an idea I have that I just thought about this week and like almost want to incorporate some web three parts to it. So yeah, feel free to add me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter. It's Mish, M-E-E-S-H underscore Lin, L-I-N. 
And yeah, let's be friends. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's great to reconnect and get some of your you to share some of these stories. I also want to share one more thing. One Let's do it. little trick. One, one, one more one, trick. one trick. One more thing. All right. So according to like science, when you're in a meeting, people are more likely to talk when everybody talks like at the beginning of the meeting. So for when I'm mentoring and I'm mentoring like at CoLab, it's like a pod of like a PM, a designer and, and engineers, or even just like my meetings in general, my design crits at my company, I put this as I made this a ritual where I also, I stole this from 15.5 too. They had some really great ideas, but I do a pulse check. And so it's every meeting. It's like, all right, on a scale of one to five, how are you feeling today? And you popcorn it to someone. So there's never any awkward silence, but it's just like, how are you? Yeah. And people end up sharing like certain things about their personal lives, like slowly, but that in terms of like based on like research from psychology, that will lead to people actually speaking more so in meetings. So yeah. I love doing the pulse check and it's really great if you're a designer and it's a design crit because say it's in the morning and everyone's like a two or a three and just like letting people be really candid and honest about it. Usually by the end, we always like revisit the pulse check, not like formally. And it's like, man, I'm feeling like a four now. because it's energizing so that's another like tiny tiny thing to implement that can have a big difference yeah to pile onto that is you if you do have one-on-ones with like if you have direct reports it's good to ask that as well because you know sometimes when you know you, you don't know what's going on right like oh they're maybe they're are they upset with me is something going on yeah. between us like well maybe they're just having a bad day so if you ask that up front then you kind of like unravel that mystery instead of wonder like did I, did I do something wrong or like no they're, yeah. they're just having a bad day it's not about you it's something else going on so any anyways things uh, that that pulse check is really good to do even with one-on-ones yeah yeah, yeah it's really fun <laughs> you just get to learn about people and i'm obsessed with people so yeah yeah well thanks so much mish will you make those low-hanging fruit questions a public google sheet or (laughs) maybe i can i'm happy to that'd be great i want to notion it so it actually looks nice but um, yeah it's something i'm really passionate about and i will be figuring out this community thing i want to learn more about web3 and whatnot so like how can i take something I want to learn and mm. take something that I care about and combine it. So maybe a little side project. So Sounds good. Well, well thanks so much for, for being on this. Thanks, Mish. Right. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And thank you for just, you know, I feel like you've been a mentor to me in a weird way throughout the years too. So I really appreciate, I really appreciate you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.